Well, good morning, church. I want to bring some prayer requests to you uh, before we start into the message today. First of all, I want to lift, uh, ask you to pray for Phil, Michael, and Roth and Abe. Their picture's up on the screen. Uh, this morning during first service, we dedicated Abe. And uh, child dedication is really all about the parents. Uh, and they are dedicating their life to raising Abe in a godly way. And I asked the people there of our church, and I know we got two different services, but listen, we're one church, and I want you to be aware. And we're going to try to get better at doing this. When something happens in one service or the other, we want everybody to know. So first service, Phil and McKaylin and Abe were up here, and we prayed for them, and I asked the church family to pray for them. So I'm going to ask you to pray for Phil and McKaylin as they are trying to raise Abe in a godly way. Uh, I also want to lift up uh, a friend of ours, uh, you all know. Uh, Jerry and Janelle Reeder and, and their kids. Jerry is deploying with the 180th Fighter Wing. Uh, he'll be leaving for Afghanistan sometime during the next week and a half. Uh, I asked him if we could bring him up here and pray for him. He said no. And so I would do it anyway, but I do want to honor him uh, and not doing that. But uh, we want to make sure we are praying uh, for Jerry as he leaves, uh, that God's hand of protection be upon him. We want to pray for Janelle and the kids as they are here. And you are not alone. You have a church family to stand with you as well. And again, again there's oftentimes we miss people coming and going, uh, maybe doing something big in their life. And we're going to try to get better at that to make sure everybody knows. So uh, today I want to pause. We're going to pray for Phil McKaylin. And I'm going to pray for Jerry and Janelle. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunities we have to approach your throne. And God, this is another one of those moments when we have church family members that are doing something. And oftentimes, Lord, it's maybe a hospital or accident or something that's going on. But Lord, for today, it's a praise and a prayer request. God, we bring praise for Phil and Michaela and Roth and Abe and their desire to raise up Abe in a godly way. That someday he will come to know you personally as Savior and Lord. And so, Lord, we lift up that family, that they are growing spiritually, and that you will help them as parents, as parenting is never an easy thing. And, Lord, we also want to pray for Jerry and Janelle and the kids as Jerry leaves here soon to be deployed. Lord, Lord, we thank you for his dedication and service to this nation. And we also thank you for his dedication and service to his family and to you. And God, we just pray that you will bless him and honor him, protect him. We pray for Janelle and the kids, that you will help them during this time of dad being away and her husband being away. Help them remember that they are not alone, that they have a church family that is surrounding them. So God, we trust you in all things. We thank you that you are a God that answers prayers. We know, Lord, you will be with them through this. In thy name we pray. Amen. Continue uh, when you have those moments, those things to pray for. Make sure we know about it because we do want to lift you up in prayer as a church. Now, um, it was nice having Abe up here first service because it was sort of a great transition right into the service talking about childhood memories. Because you see a little kid up here and right away you're thinking, oh, uh, we got a kid up here. Oh, remember when I had a little baby or, or something like, remember when I was little, we did this. What are your childhood memories? I want you to think back. You know, if you ever look through those old photos and you're like, oh, you remember when we did this? Oh, you remember that? You know, and you start calling each other names if you're doing this as a family. Like, oh, yeah, you were such a fat head and all that. I'm sure that doesn't happen with you. Uh, that was happened in our house. I do know that. Um, but I look back at my childhood. And I'm going to say this. I had a really good childhood. I did. And I'm not going to, you know, make a lot of we, we, we had our moments. 
We had our arguments. We had our emergencies. We had those situations, right? Um, but overall, I really had a good childhood. I remember once I packed my bag, not bags, but just one bag to run away. Uh, but there's only so far you can go as a 10-year-old when you live on a farm. I mean, you just get down to the end of the drive, and you're thinking, this is already a long walk. I'm tired. And I did I pack enough food? So, yeah, we had those moments. But overall, again, I was very blessed. But then I asked you that question, and I would hope and pray that you all had great childhoods. But if I understand my statistics to be correct, there's actually a large percentage out here that did not have good childhoods. And we looked at the life of Joseph last week. And if you remember him, he was abused. He was falsely accused. He was beaten up and made fun of and thrown in a pit and sold as a slave. You talk about a rough childhood. He had it. So what I would say to those of you in here who have not had a good childhood, you're not alone. You're not alone. And today's message is for you and for those of you like, well, I had a really good childhood You're blessed, but I'm sure you've had some relationships in your life somewhere along the line that have not been so good. So this is also for us as well. Grab your Bibles and uh, turn to Genesis chapter 41. And remember, we're going to reflect back to what happened to Joseph. He was sold into slavery. He was then served uh, under Potiphar for years until falsely accused. And then he was thrown in prison. And it was in prison where he then met the... Uh, two men that were that belonged to the Pharaoh, they came in, he interpreted their dreams. The cupbearer was one of them, and he knew that I'm going to be released soon, and then it wasn't. He wasn't released. Fast forward in the story. Uh, the cupbearer, or the Pharaoh has a dream. The cupbearer says, oh, I know somebody that can interpret your dream. His name is Joseph. He's in prison. Well, let's get Joseph out here. He needs to interpret my dream. And he does interpret the dream. That's where we left off last week. So we pick it up, Genesis chapter 41. We'll start in verse 37. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you are. Verse 40, you will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours, Pharaoh said to Joseph. I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand, placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. He is getting the bling, isn't he? Look at everything that's happening to him so far. Pit, prison, he's in the palace now. Verse 43. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot, reserved for his second in command. Whenever Joseph, wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Wow. Look at all this power that Joseph has gained. He is now his second in command. He has left his family in the past. He has left his past in the past. He's like, look at me now. I'm riding high, second in command. And he could have easily, easily assembled an army and said, you know what? Remember how my family treated me? 
Let's get my arm. I'm going to go wipe them out. I'm going to go settle the score. I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to show them a little bit of resentment I have and get a little revenge. They messed with the wrong guy. But Joseph is like, you know what? I'm going to leave the past in the past. But here's the problem, church. God is in the business of restoring relationships. Restoring relationships matter to God. We maybe have said, I've got a past relationship, family, or maybe just a friendship that's gone bad. And you're like, I'm leaving it in the past. I'm not dealing with it. And God's like, I know you don't want to deal with it. Maybe now is not the time to deal with it. But eventually you will deal with it because I like to restore relationships. Well, Joseph's like, maybe, maybe not, right? But here's an interesting thing. During this time, Joseph has two sons. You know what he names the first one? Manasseh. You know what Manasseh means in Hebrew? God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Oh, how would you like to be named after that? Every time you get, hey, Manasseh. Oh, yeah, I do remember my family. Even though that it actually means I've forgotten about my family. Isn't that sort of ironic that he would do this? So did he really forget about his past? I'm thinking not. I think it's still lingering there, right? So during this time, remember, there's going to be seven years of bumper crops. It was going to be incredible. And then seven years of famine. The bumper crops are over. The famine arrives. And uh, this famine reaches not just in Egypt, but outside Egypt, to all the regions. Oh, even to where Joseph's family, Jacob and his brothers, are all living. Look in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42, verse 1. When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, I love this, why are you standing around looking at one another? Does anybody have a dad like that? Growing up on a farm, four boys, one sister, I remember hearing something faint like, what are you guys standing around for? There's work to be done, right? Here comes Jacob with that tone. I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there, buy enough grain to keep us alive, otherwise we'll die. Verse 3, so Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear something might happen to him. Remember the last time he sent out his youngest son, Joseph, didn't come back. You, Benjamin's not going. No way. He's staying here. You ten, go. I don't care if something happens to you, right? Verse 5, so Jacob's sons arrives in Egypt along with others to buy food. For the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied, we've come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Imagine this, picture it. His first encounter with his family that he thought he left behind. Years, dozens, dozens plus years since he's seen them. Oh, he recognized them. He recognized their, their voices, the dialect. They don't recognize him. He's been cleaned up. New clothes on. He's probably got one of those black wigs going on. He's learned a new language that he is speaking. And he was 17. Now he's probably in his 30s. He's looking a lot different, right? And he's standing before them. And look who's come back from the past. The coins that were given to them when they sold him into slavery are now coming back to buy grain. Sort of crazy, isn't it? 
Well, we don't know what it looked like. We just know that it was different. And a lot of times for us, we have those moments in our lives when what we thought we buried, what we thought we'd given up, I'm not going to talk about that family member, I'm not going to talk about that friend that, that has really ditched me, abandoned me, has walked away from me, I'm not going to talk about that friend. But then something happens. Maybe something on a holiday, a song. Maybe it was a letter. Maybe it was a commercial. Maybe it was you're watching a movie and it reminds something happened. Or maybe you saw them somewhere. And all of a sudden it all comes back. This is what's going on with Joseph and his brothers. Here's the thing. What they did to him, Joseph does not now need to take into his own family. He started a family. You see, we have the choice. We can sit there and say, this happened in my past, but I have a choice now to change my future. I don't have to treat my family the way I was treated. I don't have to grow up with the things in my family now with my new family. We have that choice. And God says, yeah, I want to help you through it. So let's see how this, how this rolls. He goes on, he says to them, you're spies. You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my Lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We're honest men, sir. We're not spies. Verse 12. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father, Right now. And one of our brothers is no longer with us. But Joseph insisted. As I said, you're spies. This is how I'm going to test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go get your brother. And I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true by the life of Pharaoh. If it turns out that you don't have a younger brother... Then I'll know your spies. Look at verse 17. So Joseph put them all in prison for how many days? Three. You know, I think Lazarus was in a tomb for three. I think Jesus was in a tomb for three. I think when Jesus got left by his parents at the temple in Jerusalem that one time, there was three days. Did you ever see this three come up a lot? Because usually at the end of three, something big happens, isn't it? Well, he put them in prison for three days. He kept them, he's going to keep them there longer. Then he's like, you know what? It's time to do something. So what he decides to do, because he's struggling with this, understand this, these next couple of chapters get a little muddy. Because he knew how to handle Mrs. Potiphar. He knew how to handle the life in prison. He knew how to handle his new assignment. But now his past, his family, not sure how to handle that. So he's thinking, maybe I'll just give him a taste of my own medicine. You guys go rot in prison for a while. But then God's working at him. And he's like, you know what? Maybe I'll do something else. Transformation starts taking place inside of him. So what he decides instead is, I'm going to leave one of you in prison and send the rest of you home. And you're going to bring back your brother. And I'll give you the grain. You paid for it. I'll give you the grain. You go. But make sure you come back with your youngest brother. And then I'll let him out of prison. Now, this sounds like, you know, it takes like, what, 30 minutes to read this? This actually lasted about a year, what I just shared with you. Healing process was not overnight. So they, they went home. Okay, we'll back up. They went home as a guarantee we will return. Look at verse 19. 
If you really are honest men, choose one of the brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families, but you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove that you're telling the truth and that you will not die. To this they agreed. Speaking among themselves, they said, Clearly, we're being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life. But we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Don't you love it? They're like, guys, this is what we get for doing what we did to Joseph. Now they're talking about, they heard his cries. They knew his anguish. They had buried that past as well. And now it's coming out. They're like, you remember that? Yeah, I remember him crying down in the pit. Now remember, they're speaking in their dialect, which Joseph knows. But remember, Joseph's been speaking a different dialect in his Egyptian, right? So he's like, He's listening to every word they're saying. They're thinking he has no clue what we're saying. He's like, they remembered me. They're they're, they're talking about me. He was hearing every single word. Well, I guess his brothers hadn't forgotten him. He thought they did, right? Joseph Hart begins to soften a little bit more now, right? God's transformed him. God's released them. Or I'm sorry, Joseph released them, gave them the grain. They're on their way home. They get home, but uh, they sort of find out that the money was back in the bags, right? Brothers return to Egypt the second time for more food, but this time they're going to bring back twice as much money. It's been a while. They ran out of food. The famine has gone on. They didn't realize it was going to go seven years. Joseph knew it was seven years. They didn't know that. But they're out of food. they got to go back, and they're like, Our money that we paid for the food was in the bags. We need to take that back, plus more money. And we need to take Benjamin with us, right? Chapter 43, verse 33. They come back to the house for a meal. Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit. And to their amazement, he seated them according to age, oldest to youngest. Joseph filled their place with food from his own table, giving Benjamin five times as much as he gave the others. So they feasted and they drank freely with them. So they come back to Egypt. Joseph's like, I want you at my house tonight. And they're like, oh no, what's going to happen? We, we brought back the money from the first and we brought more money for, for more food. And they're sitting around and he puts them in order according to their age. Wouldn't that sort of freak you out? You like, you sit down and you're sitting there and you're like, hey, guys, Birth order. Dude, how did he know? What's, you know, they're probably thinking something strange, right? And then Benjamin, he's getting five portions more than anybody else. Like, oh, the youngest always getting babied again, right? Well, this time, they loaded up their grain again that they paid for. Once again, Joseph is like, put the money back in the bag, right? Hide it in there. But they also take Joseph's silver cup, which you never mess with the cup, Right? And they put that in Benjamin's sack. The servant did this. Let's read verse 40, um, chapter 43, I'm sorry, 44, verse 1. Fill each of their sacks with as much grain as they can carry and put each man's money back into his sack. Then put my personal silver cup at the top of the youngest brother's sack along with the money for his grain. So the manager did as Joseph instructed him. Now, I want you to think of this. Joseph is still messing with his brothers. He's like, I want to forgive them, but I'm putting one in prison. I want to forgive them, but I'm going to put my cup in there and I'm going to arrest them again. He's sort of going back and forth, right? I want to do good, but you you see it happening? Look at verse 30. 
And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Oh, wait, what happened? They stopped the brothers and they searched their bags. They found the money and they found the cup. And it was in Benjamin's cup. And they said, arrest Benjamin. We might just execute him. And the brothers are freaking out. They made a promise to dad. Nothing will happen to Benjamin. Something's happening to Benjamin. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life. If he sees that boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving, white-haired man to his grave. His name is Dad, but, you know, whatever. Verse 32. My Lord, I guaranteed to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. Let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy's not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. Finally, big brother steps up. Judah, who should have been talking earlier, 20 years earlier, should have said something, didn't say anything. Now, 20 years later, he steps up and tries to be the big brother that he should have been to Joseph. He's trying to be that to Benjamin. Judah distinguished himself as, I am willing to be the substitutionary sacrifice. I will take the sacrifice so that Benjamin can be free. We've heard of that before, right? New Testament, somebody coming to sacrifice their life so we could be free. We've heard that. Throughout the Old Testament, always look for these. They're always popping up. They're reminding us what's to come. So there's evidence of a transformed life going on here. The big brother comes up with this idea, says he wants to do this. Joseph sees the change. He's now with his brothers who once plotted his death, now trying to save his little brother's life. Love wins out. See, love always wins. Check out what happens. Genesis chapter 45. Joseph could no longer, could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room. And he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. And he broke down and he wept. He wept so loud Egyptians could hear him. The word of it quickly carried off throughout the palace. Could you imagine a scene? Wet eyes, lump in the throat. Guys, it's me, your brother. You remember me? The one you threw in the pit, the one you sold into slavery, the one you plotted to kill? It's me, Joseph. And they're all probably stunned, right? He says, I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They didn't know what to say. They're like, Joseph, really? They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing in front of them. Ancient Hebrew word for stunned means dismayed, frightened, terrified. They're like, we're dead. (laughs) Little brother is in charge of everything. He's put us in prison before. What's he going to do now? He's revealed himself. Look at verse 4. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. Don't be angry with who? Yourselves for selling me to this place. Listen to this. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. That's one. Verse six. 
This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. There'll be nothing, there'll be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me, that's two, ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, that's three, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of the entire palace and the, gov- and the governor of all Egypt. He looks at his brothers and as this compelling, maturing phase has taken place in him, says, God orchestrated all of this, guys. Isn't that incredible? God is the one who sent me here. Wow. See, that's God's spirit at work, transforming a life that was ready to give up, right? Joseph realized God ruled his life. Not circumstances, not other men, not a pandemic, not a famine. You pick whatever it is that you think is causing you to live your life right now. God is in charge, not those other things. And we can say, well, I wish my attitude would change. Well, maybe God needs to transform your attitude. We have those choices to trust God who is in control. Forgiveness is handed out. The past is being wiped clean in this story, and Joseph embraces the people who hurt him. Look at verse 14. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. And Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after each of them, they began to talk freely with themselves. Pharaoh catches wind of this. He's like, what's going on? This is awesome. This is great. You've got family? I didn't know you had family. Bring them all here. Verse 19, Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, take wagons from the land of Egypt to carry your little children, your wives. Bring your father here. Don't worry about your personal belongings. The best of Egypt is yours. Isn't that incredible? You guys have had it rough. Joseph, you're renewing your relationship with your family. Let me help you. Everything I have is yours. Bless your family. Grow in that relationship. Famine was in full force. No crops around anywhere. Circumstances are still horrible. But this family, they're going to make it. They're going to make it. Remember the quote uh, last week from Max Lucado's book? You'll get through this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this mess for good. In the meantime, don't be foolish or naive, but don't despair either. With God's help, you will get through this. You know, Joseph had every reason to never deal with his past. He didn't have to deal with his family. He didn't have to. But God orchestrated the opportunity for healing, and I believe he does the same for us. Family unit matters to God. Sometimes certain family members won't change. Let's face it. But you can change. Maybe God wants to work in you. Maybe you got friendships that have been broken apart. God wants to heal those friendships. I'm going to show you, I want to share with you a modern day version of of Joseph. His name is Tristan uh, Griffin. Tristan is a friend of mine from Akron area. Um, This past week, I've known Tristan for years. He works with FCA and he shared this with with me and a bunch of other guys. He got done sharing. I'm going, Tristan, can, I, can we videotape this and share this with the church? I'm, I'm preaching on Joseph. Your story is a modern-day Joseph. And uh, he sent me a video and said, absolutely, so I want to share this with you, a modern-day Joseph. Griffin and my good buddy Rex Stump asked me to put together a video on the topic of revenge as relates to my life. And 
Um, so here I am, but, but before I get into that, I want to provide you guys with a few quotes on the topic of revenge. Uh, everybody knows the, the famous quote, revenge is a dish best served cold. Um, Frank Sinatra also once said, the best revenge is massive success. Muhammad Ali once said, I'm a fighter. I believe in the eye for an eye business. I'm no cheat turner. I got no respect for a man who won't hit back. You kill my dog, you better hide your cat. And then my favorite, especially for those of us who are uh, losing our hair or have who have already lost it, uh, Ivana Trump uh, once said, gorgeous hair is the best revenge. And then, so with those said, uh, I suppose my overarching point for this message is that a satisfied revenge is an impossibility. I'll say it again. A satisfied revenge is an impossibility. Uh, and what I mean by that is that um, this idea that I can set a wrong that has happened to me, that I can set it right by any action other than loving action is a falsity. It's impossible. It does not exist for me to be able to do that. It's not an option. Um, and the three peripheral points that I'll make as I make that, that main point are this. Uh, number one, our attempts at revenge uh, are often directed at those closest to us. Even if the, the action itself happens to me from somebody else somewhere else, my, my attempt at revenge can oftentimes be directed at those closest to me. Uh, the second peripheral point I'll make is that uh, our attempts at revenge, especially within the Christian circles, are, are often far more subtle um, than we would, we would think they might be. And then the third point is that e even if our attempts at revenge are subtle, it doesn't make them any less attempts at revenge or any more noble or any more right. Uh, at the end of the day, they're still attempts at revenge. Um, and my guiding verse for this is Romans 12, 19, uh, which says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And so uh, I'll back it up for you and, and bring it all full circle to the about the past four months, but I'll give you some of my story. Um, I was born in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, Mom and Dad were 20 and 21 when they got married. Um, Dad was a workaholic, still is a workaholic, um, and wasn't in my life much. And at the time, was was uh, you know playing with drinking and drugs and and, and various other things, and, and wasn't really a great husband for my mother. And uh, my mom came from a home where uh, her mom was married four times, and uh, her uh, biological father was an alcoholic, and um, so neither one was really set up for success in the realm of, of marriage and. Uh, by the time I was two, they were divorced, uh, and once again, Dad didn't play a huge role in my early childhood. He was on the road working quite a bit, um, and Mom, at the when I was three, Mom brought Stepfather into the home. He was verbally and physically abusive. Um, in 10 years of living with the man, I can't remember having a conversation with him in which it wasn't uh, a verbal berating or name-calling or, or you name it. Um, and then my stepfather brought my stepbrother into the home, uh, and he was sexually abusive, um, all before the age of seven for me. And so uh, as a child, uh, I was trespassed upon a lot, and, and I carried a lot of anger, uh, disappointment, frustration, um, and resentment uh, in my heart as a child. And I carried that all the way through uh, my childhood, uh, young adulthood, um, and really 
I wouldn't have known it at the time, but I just had this anger kind of uh, bottled up or, or, or just resting under the surface for the time being for, for much of my life um, until my wife got pregnant. And uh, uh, I began to think about uh, my childhood. I began to think about the ways that I was parented, and, and I began to think about how I would like to parent my child. Uh, and as I kind of took that journey back, uh, it was like I took the bottle off of that, um, those emotions that had been bottled up for so long. And, and it was like a shaken up Coke bottle, right? As soon as I opened it, um, this just overwhelming amount of anger came spewing out. I mean, it was so much that I, I could not have contained it if I tried, right? And, and anger, uh, at the time became my constant companion. Um, just just uh, a day-to-day anger uh, in my life. And this is 15, 20 years after, you know, some of the, the, the worst trespasses happened to me. Um, and in that time, uh, what I would say that I did is I began to swing my sword of revenge. Um, I began to uh, lash out at people and try and set the, the world straight, right? And... Uh, uh, I noticed in doing this, the people that took the brunt of this revenge, even though I would have said that sort of revenge was uh, reserved for my trespassers, right? For those who abused and neglected me in my childhood, um, those weren't the people who were who were taking the wax from the sword, right? It was it was the people closest to me. Uh, it was my wife. It was my father-in-law. It was my mother-in-law. Um, and in my attempts uh, at revenge weren't these um, major, uh, easy to identify attempts at revenge, right? I wasn't, I wasn't getting in fist fights. I wasn't punching people. Uh, I wasn't cussing people out. Uh, it wasn't to that level, right? But it was so much more subtle. Uh, it would just be a perfectly timed, snide comment, right? Or even not even opening my mouth. Just, just a perfectly timed cold shoulder. Um, in order to create a maximum negative impact in the lives of the people at whom I was lashing out. Um, and and uh, I say all of this to say that within the past four months or so, uh, God has really uh, just continued to open my eyes in the realm of revenge and, uh, and ultimately show me uh, my actions. Um, and it stinks uh, in ways when he does that. It's a tremendous blessing, but it stinks, right? Because now I have to recognize and realize, man, Tristan, uh, you've got all this uh, pent-up anger and rage um, from years ago, and um, you, you you're making a decision to channel it and and let it out in a way that's not healthy for yourself or others, right? Uh, as you swing that sort of revenge, not only are you cutting the people uh, that you're swinging it at, but but you're you're hurting yourself uh, at the end of the day, and um, you know you're not truly um, allowing your emotions to to come out in a healthy manner. And um, so I, I noticed that over the past four months, and, and honestly, it, it it breaks my heart. It brings me to my knees. Uh, it brings me to God. And um, uh, you know, I have to figure out, okay, what is the healthy path forward for everyone? And uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, the, the healthy path forward is love, right? God, God says it all over the Bible. Uh, love me, love neighbor, right? Uh, so on and so forth. There, there are so many commands to just love one another, right? And it's not, um, 
it's not that that God is is it's not that that's an option or that God's saying hey you can do this or can do that he's saying if you want to move forward if you want to become more whole more Christ-like love people um, and I don't care what has happened to you not that he doesn't care he cares what has happened to us right but um, the only way forward is love if we continue to swing our sort of revenge um, it, it will cause damage for ourselves and others and um, ultimately, realizing that creates sadness in a human being, right? It, it forces us to come face to face with one of the deepest truths in the world, which is we live in a broken world where people are imperfect and people are going to hurt me and I'm going to hurt them. And, and that really stinks and, and it makes us sad when we have to sit in front of that truth. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we have a, a, an assurance from our loving Father that uh, justice is an inevitability, right? Satisfied revenge is an impossibility, but justice is an inevitability, right? We will all eventually stand before God and stare directly into the eyes of truth himself and realize the, the truth of our lives, who we are, what we've done. Um, that will happen. Uh, but at the end of the day, before that happens, our command is to love uh, one another as deeply as we possibly can and move forward in that. And so um, I suppose, like I said, my, my overarching message is that a satisfied revenge is an impossibility, right? Romans twelve nineteen that says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Once again, it, it's not... Um, it's not an option. It's the way the world is. It's the way the world works. Um, vengeance is God's. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think ultimately for me over the past four months, it's just been a process of uh, realizing that truth and processing it and then doing my best to move forward in love uh, toward everybody. So uh, with all of that said, uh, I appreciate you guys listening. Um, and uh, and Rex, thanks for, for asking me to, to share, man. And um, if anybody has any questions or anything, uh, feel free to, to share my contact with them. So thank you. Take care, everybody. God bless. What an amazing testimony, right? That's a modern-day Joseph. Did you? I mean, his past, 15, 20 years ago, was drug up by the birth of a child, and it came to fruition during a pandemic. Oh, what about Joseph? It came to fruition through a famine, a, pand- a pandemic, right? A situation or a catastrophe. And, and he looked back at his past and say, look what happened to me. And all of a sudden it came out. How did he win out of this? He understood that God's in control and that love wins. He got things right with his God, our God. And then he shows that love. I don't know what's going on in, in your life right now. But I know over the past six months, some of you have been really tested some of your past relationships have been sort of like, it's like that water that gets mudded. You sort of walk through that clear stream and then all of a sudden you just can't see the bottom anymore. And some of your relationships from the past have gotten muddy and have maybe been stirred up again or maybe a friendship, whatever it may be. I'm here to tell you, God knows how to restore relationships. And it begins with you, first of all, reconnecting with the God of this universe and making sure you're right with him. And then after you're right with him, let him work through you, as he did Joseph, as he did Tristan, as he's done with many others. And then, let's start loving one another. You know, you think about how did the brothers of Joseph survive? I want you to think about this. How did his brothers survive? Were they good? Were they lucky to get the grain? They made it because their brother 
was a prince. Think about that. They survived because they were related to the one who could save them. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us, because of our faith, Christ has brought us in the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our lives. Church, listen, Jesus is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our King. Would you consider him more than that, though? Would you ever consider Jesus to be a brother? Does that sound sacrilegious? Jesus was speaking to the crowd. His mothers and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, hey, your mother and brothers are outside. They want to speak to you. Jesus said, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and he said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of the Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You know, despite our lives and our mistakes, even though we have no titles, no power, no prestige, Jesus calls us more than just believers. He calls us brothers, sisters. Hebrews 2.11 says, So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He's our Savior. He can restore us, and then he can restore our relationships. Worship team, would you come forward, please? I'll never forget a time I went swimming uh, at a local campground. We, they had a miniature golf course and a pond. You can go there and swim. And on some Sunday afternoons, my brothers and myself, we would drive over and go swimming. And I was younger and you know, it, was a, it was a lot of fun, but uh, I was in elementary age. I was young. And I remember I got to a point in the water where it was too deep and I went under and I wasn't going to come back up. My brother was on the shore. He saw me with his jeans on and his wallet still in his pocket. He jumped into the water and pulled me out and saved me. And if it wasn't for my older brother, today it would look very different. But that's what big brothers do, right? Big brothers disregard themselves. They jump in to save their little brother. That's what Jesus did. He jumped into this world to save us. He now calls us, those who are saved, his brothers and sisters. You know, I was not only grateful to my brother that that incident actually caused me to take swim lessons. And then from swim lessons, I became a lifeguard so that I could save others. As a result of Jesus saving us, guess what he's calling us to do now? To love others and show them the saving grace of our, our Lord. So church, I, again, I don't know what relationships you've dealt with and how you've struggled with them. 
And maybe it's not been a good childhood, but God restores relationships. And he begins with you. And then he helps you do that with the rest of your family and your friends. Allow him to do that. He's an awesome God. Stand, please. God, I thank you that you are a God that can help us get through times like this. Because you are our Savior. You are our Lord. And your Son, Jesus Christ, even calls us a brother. That's hard for me to do, to call Jesus my brother, because to me, that sounds sacrilegious and unholy and I don't know. But that's the kind of relationship he has with us. He looks out for us. But he is more than that. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And God, you want to restore relationships beginning with us. So God, in our hearts right now, if we do not have that relationship with you, God, we come to you right now and we confess our sins. We admit to you right now that we're nothing but sinners. We're imperfect. We make mistakes. And we need to be saved. And only you can do that. We admit that. So the Lord, save us. And Lord, for those of us in here, we said, oh, we've been saved. And Lord, help us to live for you now. Be our Lord, as we said. Take my hands. Take my life. Take my lips. Take take my, my feet. Take me, Lord. You are my Lord. Take everything, Lord. And help me now, Lord, love others. We've been griping too long, complaining too long about each other and everything that's going on in this world. It's time for us to start loving one another again the way you want us to love. Not the way we think, but the way you want us to love. So Lord, help us love one another. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. We worship you, Lord. We worship you in song. In my name we pray. Amen.